0: And you're listening to The Rights Pod, a podcast by the Center for Human Rights and International Justice at Stanford University. I'm Alina Utrotta, and this is The Rights Pod. For this week's episode, we're turning back to our notes from alumni series. For those of you who haven't heard our previous episodes, notes from alumni is where I sit down with graduates from the human rights minors program and ask them what life in the immediate years after Stanford has been like. This wouldn't be a human rights podcast if we didn't talk about law school at least once. And the alumni on this week's episode, Alexis Kalin and Julian Bava, actually found out at the time of recording this that they were about to be classmates once again when they start Yale Law School this fall. No big deal, right? I sat down and asked them about the pathway that ultimately led them to deciding law school was the right choice, and what they think other students who are interested in human rights and the law should think about. This conversation was recorded on May 16th, 2020. You're listening to The Rights Pod. Hi, Alexis and Julian. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So maybe for our listeners, you could each give us uh, a really uh, brief introduction to to who you are and, and what you're doing. So Alexis, do you want to start?
1: Hi, everyone, as I said, I'm Alexis, and very excited to be on this podcast and talk about the Honda Center, which was so important during my time at Stanford. Um, I'm currently finishing up a two-year master's program at the University of Oxford in the UK, where my research focuses on disability in the U.S. asylum process. And while at Stanford, I was a human rights minor. Awesome,
2: Julian. Hi, guys. Um, So uh, I'm Julian, and I'm currently working um, pretty close to home at Stanford Law School um, as a legal assistant in the Immigrants' Rights Clinic. Um, We represent clients directly, and we also do uh, larger advocacy projects and impact cases. Um, Like Alexis and Alina, I was a human rights minor, um, born and bred, uh, and a political science major.
0: Awesome. So maybe we can start, um, what, if you guys could give us just some background of sort of like your Stanford journey, like, um, what brought you to Stanford? What brought you to the Human Rights Center? Like what got you interested in in these topics in the first place?
2: Um, Sure, I can. uh, (laughs) Well, for me, it was, it was pretty straightforward because I had just gone through the course uh, catalog and found a course called International Justice, which seemed really cool. Um, I just fell in love with the class and fell in love with the professor and it was she, Professor Von Scott, of course, who uh, introduced me to um, Penelope Van Tile and Jesse Brunner and the Honda Center, and, but, but is now the Center for Human Rights. I'm going to be calling it the Honda Center a lot this podcast. Sorry,
0: the <laughs> um, alums. It's a it's a hard habit to break with the alums. It,
2: it, it's it's really hard. <laughs> but so it was uh, Professor von and and Penelope and Jesse and the whole um, Center for Human Rights team that uh, really had one thing lead to another.
1: Yeah, and I think for me, so I I came into Stanford knowing I wanted to do international human rights law eventually but I really didn't understand what that even meant looking back at it so in high school I was really involved in the issues surrounding adolescent girls in developing countries and I knew a lot specifically about girls education in developing countries and period poverty and things like this but I had no idea how you actually worked through legal systems or just international systems in general to actually help those issues so I knew a lot about the issues I was passionate about but I didn't understand how the international system worked or how to actually go about changing this and so I got to Stanford knew I wanted to major in human rights but I actually, had no idea how to do that or how anything worked, and so it actually took me, I think, a year and a half to enroll in the human rights class, and I then met be and and it just went from there.
0: That's awesome. So both of you guys, did you both come in like feeling pretty confident that you wanted to do law?
2: I absolutely did. Um, it was, you know, it just sort of had been my thing throughout high school for forever and ever. I had done the whole Model UN thing as a leader. <laughs> um, ended up not really doing it in college, <laughs> as she also does. Um, but that I think, like Alexis said, that was sort of just this amorphous interest, and I wasn't really sure what direction that was going to go in. And but aside from being, you know, on the international uh, sort of law side of things. And I, particularly in its early days, I think the, the Center for Human Rights was very, um, had an international criminal law bent. And so I also followed that path somewhat and in, um, still uh, I would say following that path, but perhaps now with a little bit more um, breadth to it. Um, so certainly uh, through my courses, through the minor. I took courses on international criminal law, on other aspects of international public law, but nowadays having um, gone abroad and then come back to work in a more domestic legal uh, area, I'm trying to now reconcile this, this still, you know, very big passion for international human rights and international work, but also with um, a very keen interest in how our domestic legal system works.
1: It's funny that you say that because I feel like we're actually in a pretty similar spot, it sounds like. Um, I think that I also came in thinking I wanted to do law, but I wasn't Sure, and so that's why I used a lot of my summers to try to do a number of different things, all within human rights work. But I I used one summer to do policy work, one summer to do direct uh, service as well as research, and then one summer finally at at a nonprofit law firm. And I think that through all of those experiences, I figured out that for sure law was the way I wanted to work within human rights. And I would also say that taking more classes, for example, I took the International Human Rights Law class at, at Chamber with Beth. And um, it was, that's kind of how I figured out I, I for sure wanted to go to law school. And I would definitely recommend knowing that decision for sure before you decide to go to law school because something i've picked up on i learned educated myself a lot about in the last couple of years is actually about how expensive law school is and how serious of a decision it is and i don't think i actually understood that properly in undergrad
0: yeah so i guess there's two things kind of uh, i wonder your guys's thoughts on like the first is like for students who are considering law school, like what what is it, um, like what are the factors that they should think about when thinking about law? So like Alexis, you mentioned like cost um, and sort of like related to that. Like, I mean, I know Alexis, you said you, you thought about, um, you know, you, you wondered whether you wanted to do law school and you wanted to confirm to Julian, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but like what were the kind of other things you, con- you considered if not, if not like the legal pathway
1: I guess to just pick up on uh, what I mentioned briefly earlier the research that I was doing came out of me wondering if I wanted to work directly with an organization like UNHCR uh, and just go work in Geneva or a field office in a developing country and do that kind of work so I think that's what I was always wondering. I also really thought about policy because I do think policy is a very effective agent for change. And I was wondering if that was really where I wanted to focus, which maybe it still will be in the future, but it's not what I want to do, at least in my graduate degree and immediately
2: after. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think I came in with a bit of the luxury of knowing that my interest in going to law school was pretty unshakable. And <laughs> so, well, you know, but it didn't it did. feel
0: shook at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what that let me do, though, was, you know, do things like summer research college after uh, freshman year of, of, of college, which um, is just doing IR research, for example or branching out a bit in the term in, in terms of the activities that I did during uh, the academic year, just because I knew that I could always come, come back to my center, um, which is, was sort of liberating to realize at the time. The much more challenging question for me has um, been, not do I want to go to law school, but what kind of law do I want to practice and how do I want to practice it? I mean, no one our age really answers that question now, so it'd be silly to try to. But you know, I think just because I know I want to go to law school doesn't mean that I don't want to do policy um, or humanitarian work or anything like that. Or it could mean that I do want to just you know really be in the courtroom and be um, you know, sort of a traditional lawyer. Um, but uh, so you know, both spreading my wings a bit in college, but um, also having the opportunity to delve deep into some of the issues that I um, was really interesting interested in. Was really helpful for me as I've started, you know, kind of considering what um, path in the law I actually want to set myself down.
0: So I guess then, um, what were kind of the things that stood out to you in your in your Stanford undergraduate um, career that were like really impactful to you, kind of in retrospect, um, whether they related to the law or not.
1: a number of things i mean first i will say the people which i think is most people's answer but being in such an incredible space with so many smart motivated people especially in the human rights community was so helpful for me. Because I think within a community like that, everyone there's a baseline of knowing they want to help people with their lives and are dedicated to spending their time thinking about these, about critical issues and and trying to figure out what role they can put to to help in solving those issues. Um, And so I think the Honda Center was, was incredibly powerful in my Stanford experience. The other part of that is the mentors. I mean, I didn't even really understand how law school worked or whether it was you went directly after college or how any of that worked. And I think that coming to Stanford immediately meeting, especially uh, strong female mentors, was just so impactful for me. And for me, that was, be as well as Dr. Lucy Herman at the law school and I think that that was also just huge in just having conversations over and over again with them about how the world worked and how, what types of careers would fit what I wanted to do or what I was thinking about doing. I also think Stanford just gave me so much opportunity to develop as a person. I think I, I definitely enjoyed the classes and those were huge as well. Um, but I think that that is a bit more obvious was I think I grew so much through extracurriculars and learned so much about how to be a leader and how to just, yeah, I just learned so much about being a leader in different ways to make change in the world through extracurriculars and hosting speakers within those extracurriculars and managing people and and working towards public service goals within those organizations was was huge for me.
2: Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more with all that. I think Stanford is just such a amazing place to learn who you are and what you wanna do because you have you're sitting on this enormous pile of privilege where you can dream up something for yourself and make it happen or Stanford will make it happen for you. And I think you should really, um, you know, if I had any advice for uh, an underclassman, would be to always remember that and not be limited by just like what you think is possible because, you know, it, you, can, you can make it happen. You know, I, I think back to, I, I got, a lot of enjoyment out of reading my uh, letter to my senior self, you know, that, that silly thing we did freshman year and did that we then opened senior year. And one of the things was, and I really, really hope I get to do an internship in The Hague. And well, you know, the Honda Center actually made that happen. You know, that was a dream of mine uh, coming into college. And you know that was something that I could do because Stanford you know, made it happen. And like Alexis said, I think it was just some, it's, it was a place that, you know, you could really delve deep if you wanted to going into the law school, um, taking multiple courses there. because I knew that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to soak it up as much as I could, um, was an extraordinary um, opportunity. Um, but also on the extracurricular side, there's, like you said, I mean, I think that's stated perfectly. There's so many opportunities for leadership um, and that's so important when you're developing, um, you know, your sort of principles and who you want to be and what you want to do in the world and i did um some music uh outreach work in east palo alto for example and that was wonderful on many accounts and i, mean, I think one of one of those um aspects that was really great was just that it's sort of um it's so easy at stanford to um, of course be stuck in that in the bubble the proverbial bubble and um always challenging yourself to be very thoughtful of like what place you occupy, wherever you are, is a really important lesson, um, particularly for, for folks who are really uh, international human rights-minded. Um, and, you know, that's something, that's a lesson I took with me um, abroad. And um, even coming back to uh, Stanford now, I mean, the places has changed. Like, you can't stop, you can't get comfortable, and you have to always challenge your assumptions about people and places. And um, I think Stanford helped us do that
0: yeah kind of going off that. I wonder like particularly at least I felt this like doing something with like human rights where you are exposed to just and you are interested in uh, addressing um like some of you know some of the worst human rights abuses um in the world, and then also being um like at a place like Stanford, where like you said Julian, like you are so privileged and you have so many opportunities. And yet, like the issues that you're grappling with are often, you know, both like often, you know, like really impacting people's lives, but then often are um, uh, either, you know, are marginalized issues that don't get a lot of funding. So kind of, I guess, both in your Stanford experience and now like, you know, that you're out, outside of Stanford, um, how, how did you kind of like think about that and like grapple with that? And what would you what would you tell students um in the human rights community now who are thinking about similar issues?
1: I think that's such a hard question. I mean, this is something I also had a difficult time with. I think particularly that summer after I, after I did the research, which I, going back to Julian's point on how incredible it was that Stanford gave us those internship opportunities, those were so helpful in figuring out what I wanted to do and I I just wanted to echo that because I think that that was so true in my experience as well Um, but I particularly thought a lot about this when I spent the summer doing research that I now think that it wasn't really ethical for me to do but I was doing research on the (laughs) the impact of the use of gender-based violence as a tool war on survivors in Rwanda 20 years after the genocide, which as a white woman from a prestigious American university, I just don't think I should have been doing that research. But anyway, one of the impacts of that research was just feeling terrible afterwards and just, feeling like so many of these women were never going to get justice. And I just spent three months interviewing all of, all of these people and, and hearing their stories and then went back to the school made of gold. And I, at that time I was actually uh, coming back to be an RA and I felt like it was so hard to grapple with talking to my freshman who I, I completely agree had very valid problems But I think after being in Rwanda all summer I was like it was just so warped and, and just grappling with that world of privilege and being extremely reminded in that moment of how privileged I, I really am um, and knowing how to move forward was really hard. And I think that something that got me through it was one, um, the the Center for Human Rights (laughs) helping me realize what secondhand trauma was and getting through that. And then actually a key professor who is affiliated with the Center for Human Rights still, I think, um, Dr. Paul Wise. Mm -hmm. And he was really helpful in just talking through these issues and being like, look, the world is broken and a lot of people are not going to get justice. And you need to figure out how to just grapple with that and work within a system that's not going to be able to give justice to everyone. Um, And just having his support and having someone say, you know, come to my office hours anytime, email me anytime, like this is normal and, and this is okay, keep going, was really helpful. But I just wanna validate that that is such, such a hard struggle um, and obviously a privileged one, but, but it is hard. And I, I would encourage undergrads going through that to reach out to professors and friends that can support you through that.
2: I think Alexis raises a critical point for those of us who want to, you know, those do-gooders who want to um, change the world, right? Um, Who are you to presume that you can do that? And um, even beyond that, are you even causing harm? And while, for example, that Hague internship of mine um, was phenomenal in so many regards, it wasn't like I had really impacted the world a single ounce. Um, In fact, that was part of what made it so great was the realization that um, this particular mode or uh, manifestation of international justice wasn't working. Um, And to be able to realize that is really important because, and and it was for me, because that then led to an interest in um, Uh, more national-based or even local-based modes of of international justice, even though um, it's uh, sort of originating locally. And, um, you know, you have to get it wrong at some point to get it right. And uh, I think an internship like the one even that Alexis did is a really great way because um, it's super, super important to realize what place... Uh, you are occupying at that moment and to be able to have the introspection to be able to say, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been doing that. That's, you know, that's a really hard thing to, a realization to come to and a really, but a really powerful one because then, you know, it, that helps you get to the next point. Like you're not just stuck and don't know where to go. You, you sort of see a path forward. Um, and that, I think that, that, that's, that's the key takeaway for me, I think, is that, you know, don't get too cynical and think that you have all this privilege and there's no possible way that you could wield it in an ethical way, um, or just maybe the world's problems are too great, um, or I'm not the person to do this, you know, check yourself. But also figure out how you can uplift the voices maybe that are the appropriate ones, or you know, just exactly where in that what you know what cog you are and what machine it is, where you fit and all that.
0: Yeah, and thanks so much for bringing that up. Um, like both of you and Alexis to that experience. Um, I wonder, like some of the, I mean, that's one of the big challenges that like I faced and it sounds like you guys also grappled with with studying human rights, that it's hard, right? Because it's not just like, like math is hard um but this is (laughs) is really hard (laughs) right you know it's hard in a different way and sometimes you know i felt like i really did want to like spend another four hours in library studying but i just couldn't because what i was reading about i knew was happening um to somebody and and you know it was very upsetting even you know not and i also was in quote unquote the field right like i i did um uh research abroad but even being at Stanford it, it was it it could be hard just just reading about things so so I wondered like what were the challenges you guys um uh felt like were particular to the the studies in, of human rights and Alex you sort of mentioned like Dr. Paul Wise um and, and like mentorship support but like how did you guys like how did you guys um
2: um work to kind of overcome the, these
0: challenges and
2: I do, I I will say that as much as we like to um, rag on the ivory tower, um, and rightfully so, um, it was kind of satisfying for me to be working in Lebanon with Save the Children and to have a couple of instances in which my training in human rights through the Center for Human Rights really um, came through for me. Um, One of those was um, this was being able to grapple with the realities of this tension between uh, a human rights-based approach to um, international work versus a humanitarian one. Um, and as uh, someone who was working for a humanitarian organization and working um, with other humanitarian organizations, that perspective was, was really um, valuable to be. To be able to bring the human rights um, angle into the discussions we were having. And what I mean by that is, you know, a human rights, or sorry, a humanitarian perspective might believe that we need to um, minimize harm and maximize um, aid that we provide, for example, um, sort of like a do no harm uh, principle, whereas human rights are, uh, a human rights perspective might look a little bit more structurally at, at creating change. And it was best that this tension was. Best exemplified in my time there, I think, in two funny ways. One was, well, one funny way, and one just kind of real way um, was a conversation that I had with the director of a human rights, a local human rights organization in Lebanon, um, a really fantastic one. Um, and the director was just you know, getting really animated as we were talking about um, the extent to which uh, humanitarian organizations don't call out human rights abuses by um, governments. Um, by our host governments, and he, you know, informed me that we should be doing more to uh, you know, use our power and the, you know, the leverage that we have to uh, to expect better from these governments. Um, and you know, having been there for I don't know however many months, you know, I, I scoff at this guy and think, well, you know, how are we going to deliver our um, social protection programming to the thousands of children who? You know require it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and so after, after that conversation, I stepped back and thought, Wow, that was like literally an academic conversation we've had in you know, Human Rights 101, and it's actually real and it's actually challenging. Um, and you know, maybe a conversation over dinner doesn't sound too real, but um, it really manifests itself in one way in my work there, which was on a particular project that I was working on related to. Um, debt bondage of children uh, in informal tent of Syrian children in informal tented settlements and um, there is this question of you know one on the one hand there's this very real problem um, it's harming children um, every day and it's very dire and the human rights angle would be we need to stop it now um, but the humanitarian and so you know we must publish there therefore we must publish this grand report um, shedding light on this on this practice. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that the grand report uh could really put in danger, put these children in danger if it's going to elicit an adverse response from the government. Um, and so that was particularly the case in the summer when we were originally going to release it. Um, but for many reasons, um, you know, among them, this very real fear that we could be doing more harm than good. We decided not to, um, and, you know, on a more micro level too, just doing the interviews, we always had to make sure that, uh, we put the beneficiary's safety first, um, that, you know, great scoop was never going to be worth, you know, the, even the remotest possibility of, uh, harming a community we're going into. And so these are the trade-offs that really do exist and that we actually had to grapple with at the time. And I do feel that having been able to discuss them even from um, the Gilded Halls of Stanford University was um, better than not having done so beforehand. Um, I think
1: Julian St. through is so helpful because he's actually had experience in the world and and I've just been still at school um but at least for me I think the the at least thinking back to trying to connect this back to Stanford and and making this helpful for undergrads something that I've been challenged with and wish that I was more prepared to handle is my graduate research basically I threw my thesis at Stanford, I realized that I really wanted to focus on women with disabilities, which is something that I felt like I really did not get space to explore at Stanford. And I'm sure that if I had, you know, now there's a disability studies class, I believe. Um, But when I was there, that, that was just beginning at the end of my senior year, and I wish that I had a background in disability rights or that anyone on the Stanford campus was was loudly talking about disability rights. I'm not sure if anyone there has focused on it but at least when I was there it, it didn't seem like that was the case. And again, that's not the case now at Oxford either. But I think that having these two years just to think about women with disabilities, specifically refugee women with disabilities and do the reading on my own and just, just thinking about that on my own has been lovely. But I do wish that I had um, more of an institutional education on that. Is that even a word, institutional education? Um, (laughs) I wish that I had more of an education on that subject specifically or opportunities for that before I dove headfirst into it. So I think I've been finding that challenging. but, But again, a common theme here is amazing mentorship, and I've you know, I had long conversations on the phone with Penelope even after I graduated about how I could educate myself on these niche issues or just having her (laughs) sit there and very, very kindly explain to me how immigration courts work. I just, yeah, seeing for mentors are incredible, but I think that's how I've solved that challenge (laughs) so far.
0: Yeah that kind of leads into my next question which is like you know your post-Stanford transition. Um, I feel like sometimes that like after college life can seem a bit like a black box um, or just like an abyss almost (laughs) like um, and I wondered like what like what what were like what was your experience and, and challenges that there was in, like, leaving Stanford? But also, like, kind of as you talked about, Alexis, like, you called um, Penelope after Stanford. I also called Penelope in a panic several times after Stanford. So, like, how do you feel, do you, like, you know, also parts of how the Stanford community and support stays with you after graduation?
1: I think my path was a little bit different. And so I... It's funny for me to say this because I felt like I had a really, really hard transition to Stanford, and I loved Stanford more than anything, but I do feel like because I went straight from Stanford to a graduate program, and now I'm just going straight to law school, I haven't really lost the university community, and so it didn't feel all that different which is interesting because a lot of my friends, especially those in the human rights program, who I still talk to a lot, and now are working jobs at places like the International Women's Health Coalition and all these amazing places. And it's interesting to see how different our lives are because I am still in school. Uh, But yeah, I think because of that, I didn't, have too much of a challenge. I also kept in touch a lot with Penelope and Lucy and I think that just knowing that that support was always there and that I I felt like I built such deep connections with a few of these people that they would be with me no matter where I went was really helpful because I think that's why transit well transitioning to Stanford in the first place was really hard for for a lot of other reasons but one of them was also because I didn't have people yet and once you have your people I think it's a lot easier to transition. Yeah Julian did you have a similar or or a different experience?
0: I don't know if you trans because you were still working you were working at a law school on campus is that correct?
2: Yeah right now I'm um, working at Stanford Law School on campus. And, you know, I think my transition to Stanford was, you know, rocky in places, you know, like the average uh, freshman's, but, you know, nothing, not too bad. It was more my transition out of Stanford um, senior year that was, like, really panic-inducing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... You know, part of that was because it was, you know, I entered senior year on the heels of a huge hurricane that my family and I weathered together, and that threw me off a bit, and I had my capstone to do, and I had you know, planned to do it one quarter, then it got pushed, and then it got pushed again, and literally, I think I sent Beth the last paper, like, a minute after grades were due or something, like, it was, you know, truly last minute, um, so things weren't feeling like they were coming together, and before I got the fellowship that I did, I was just spamming my resume to any open position I could find without really much of a strategy because I didn't really know how one applied to jobs. So, you know, and that I knew that was going to be a struggle for me, and I think that's why I really poured a lot of heart and soul into my fellowship applications because those are just things that are there, and you apply for them and you hope for the best. Um, and I am lucky that. Uh, That panned out because otherwise it probably would have been um, another couple of months of stress. Um, But what I now realize is that um, You know, the hiring process for nonprofits and such is you know, just completely different than my peers who are, you know, have got their Google jobs lined up in fall quarter. Um, And that would have been really great to know at at, at the time. Um, But yeah, but you know, even um, once I got the International Public Service Fellowship from the Haas Center. It, I still it, then uh, you know I was in this uh, awesome position of the world being my oyster you know just I can go anywhere but that was actually super intimidating as well because I so didn't know, mm-hmm. t-
0: tell us for for the students who don't know so through the Haas Center Fellowship they give you funding and then you um go out and and uh contact organizations that, Is that that the process, Julia?
2: Yeah, um, um, you know, the Center for Human Rights is great. Haas Center is also great. Um, They have a whole bunch of postgraduate fellowships to apply for. Unfortunately, the one that I did um, is no longer offered. And, you know, given these economic times, I don't know when it might be again. Um, But they also offer the Gardner Fellowship, which is the same thing, but you stay inside the 48 contiguous states rather than going abroad. you know, i was deciding between those two and then also once i decided to, that i should earn, sort of earn my stripes abroad as someone put it to me then when i was debating between the two um then it's like well now what What do i do it i just email people cold like how do i do that and basically it was penelope and others who were like you know you need to leverage your contacts and um i eventually scrounged up a few opportunities but the one that ended up being what I chose and what just was absolutely the best decision, hands down, was um, an opportunity that came through um, Meredith, a uh, former uh, employee at the Center for Human Rights as well. She, you know, she knew someone uh, who knew someone and save the children, and one thing led to another. And so, maintaining those contacts throughout school and after school um, is just really rewarding because these are, you know amazing people that you're surrounding yourself to begin with but they're also the people who are going to be looking out for you um and that's uh, yeah don't waste that opportunity
1: uh, I was just gonna say I think you hit on such an important point too and like so many of these mentors at Stanford won't let you fail and I think that the the job process or while I was deciding whether to work or try to go to school again I was really worried that something would fall through and I wouldn't get a job or specifically I think it's really hard for low-income kids and just wondering how you're going to make ends meet in a public service job or or supporting parents, and and I think they can be really hard. And I think like Julian said, those mentors are so important and they won't let you fail. And somewhere in there, there will be a connection to to help in that process.
2: Well, and, you know, also, I I would say, especially if you're considering law school in particular, since that's what the two of us are probably most intimately, whatever, is um, you might be like me, and you think that you really want to go to law school, it's just 100% what you're doing, or you might still be figuring it out, and regardless, um, I would say, please do something before uh, going to law school. That can be more school to, you know, hone in on the academic issues that you didn't get a chance to at Stanford. That can be um dipping your toes in the workforce you know whatever it is and you know the reason i did it was not because i had this you know wonderful insight at the appropriate moment it was just because i realized i my lsat score was not going to get me into law school and i needed something else on my resume um, if Yale admissions <laughs> is looking at this hi um, thanks for <laughs> taking that chance um but uh you know it, it ended up being the right decision because even though I knew I, I, you know, my heart was set on law school, um, the amount of growing I did uh, in the year in Lebanon and even the year um, in a place back here, you know, that I'm very familiar with, um, just working a job I had never worked before has been instrumental. Um, and I think it's going to make um, a much better law student and lawyer out of me. And I think the reason I bring this up is just because as you're panicking senior year, thinking about, what lies ahead um, know that there's just so many things that you can do and that can seem scary but that actually just means that um, it's there will be the right place for you somewhere and it might take a little bit more heavy lifting depending on what your goals are but um, it's there and you can find it and if you don't find it immediately that's not because you didn't try hard enough (laughs) the stars maybe just didn't align you know, try again, pass, go the next time.
0: Yeah, so I wonder, um, since both of you are going to law school, uh, what what advice would you give to students who are thinking about law school or or thinking about preparing for law school? Um, Because Alexis, I felt very similarly to you, which was like law school is something that I was thinking about, but I had no idea what that meant, and I had no idea what prep for that meant.
1: Yeah, I, I I feel like the only reason I wanted to be a lawyer when I came to Stanford freshman year was because I knew I was good at arguing and I enjoyed arguing, <laughs> but, therefore, I should be a lawyer. It's,
0: I uh, not think it's a great reason, Alexis.
1: <laughs> I was like, I really care about human rights issues and I'm good at arguing. Um, but I actually, I know I've gone back to the internships a lot, but I think the internships are so helpful. And I think that for me, having a sampling of policy, research, and law in the final summer was so helpful. So the way that I did that was also through a Haas Center Fellowship. So another shout out for Haas, who are <laughs> amazing. Um but I was able to work with the Justice Center in Hong Kong, which is a nonprofit law firm that helps um, asylum seekers with their applications and uh, going through the immigration court process in Hong Kong. And I think that obviously I wasn't able to do any of the legal work, but just sitting there and being in those client meetings and helping the lawyers with whatever they needed me to do was enough for me to know that that was what I wanted to spend my days doing. And I wanted to make absolutely sure that the day-to-day schedule of uh, an immigration lawyer was what I wanted, or even, even a lawyer in general. Um, and I think having that exposure is so helpful. And as I said before, I really do think law school is a big decision and should not be taken lightly since it is, it's it's difficult and it's really expensive. And so I think that taking both internships that expose you to what a life like that would be like, as well as taking a gap year to really make sure that that's your path uh, is really helpful.
2: I feel like I just want to say, like, it's the internship, stupid. Um, it,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be the podcast title. <laughs> um,
2: it, it's funny just how the, the Center for Human Rights has been there at every little step that I took that, got me, that has gotten me a little bit closer to figuring out where the hell my life is going. Um, you know, first there's the, the internship at um, a tribunal in, in The Hague wonderful, realized that maybe this, you know, grand model of international justice that I had studied wasn't the only one. Um, then, you know, I, well, th- my next internship was at the Center for Justice and Accountability. And I mean, I got that because Jesse Brunner barreled her way through a-, a crowd to, you know, demand that um, they give it to me at, at, a, <laughs> at an event. But, you know, so again, like, this was just purely the, the Center for Human Rights it's for those um, of you
0: who know jesse that is a very on-brand story
2: (laughs) extremely on-brand um and wow what an incredible i mean that was like the dream the dream internship and like alexis said a really you know aha moment like wow i just want to be one of them i want to be a lawyer like this is it like this is international stuff but u.s court systems like how incredible but um you know i had also studied arabic and i had like interests in the Middle East and all these other interests. Um, I had been volunteering as an interpreter uh, for the Stanford Immigrants Rights Clinic and, you know, had all these other interests, so I wasn't really sure if there was a way that I could combine them or if I had to pick or what. Um, and then my human rights capstone also got me another inch closer because it kind of solidified in my interest in looking for it sort of sub-national um, or at least just alternative modes of international justice, not just, you know, the the, the tried and, and tested ones that we studied perhaps in, in school um, and just trying to get creative, um, but also still not really knowing what that looks like. You know, and then I go to Lebanon and I get, and I go abroad and I get that feast. I'm working, I'm working in the Middle East. I'm um, working on my Arabic. I'm really getting all that. Um, then... And, and that was, you know, yes, that was the Haas Center, but it was Penelope's office that I went to right before my interview to get advice. You know, it's, it, it's because of them. Um, and, you know, I come back now to Stanford Law School because, uh, you know, I was gearing up to applying to law school thinking about that. I wasn't quite sure if I was going to submit that application then or not. Um, my partner was here. Uh, it just made a lot of sense. Um, And also it was finally, and I had, from Lebanon, I had only applied to immigration nonprofits um, just because I thought, you know, I had some skills that would make me a potential candidate and also it was an opportunity to see if I really liked it. And the fact of the matter is that I don't know if I want to be an immigration lawyer. Um, I guess that's a really big cop-out because I'm not saying one way or another, but, um, (laughs) you know, I I think it's, I've learned that, you know, from my wonderful colleagues and, and bosses here that it's... Um, a a very particular brand of storytelling that is really, really difficult Um, and aspects of it I really enjoy and can see myself doing and others maybe not. Um, Still don't have to make that decision now, thankfully. Um, But I don't even remember what the the question was, but I think my point is that every step of the way um, has been built upon the last and the common thread is um, Penelope and Jesse and all of the folks at the Center for Human Rights.
0: Okay so if you could give advice or say something to your freshman self what would you say and if you could say anything to your senior self senior at Stanford what would you say? Not senior citizen we still have some ways to go.
2: Well I think the first one would be to my freshman self which is not to take econ one. But <laughs> Maybe that's not that helpful. (laughs) Um, Although I mean, I suppose there is a lesson from that I took it because it was a requirement for international relations because I had gone in like Determined that I was going to be an IR major because that's what I had always said I was going to be. And that was like who I was, but um, turns out, you know, these are just labels. um, And, you know, I think the lesson is that you can change who you are and what you want to do. To my senior self. I mean I think it's you know what I touched on before just um, taking the steps to make sure that you're doing what you can to prepare for your future but you know not paralyzing yourself about it.
1: I think my freshman self was so worried and just stressed that I wouldn't figure out what I wanted to do or that I wouldn't do it right or that I had gotten into this amazing university that I would always wanted to go to. And now that I'm here, like I I just really didn't want to waste it. And I was so scared that I was gonna waste it and that I had to have this beautiful straightforward path about why I did what I did. And, you know, I, I feel like everyone I looked up to people like something the power and. Hillary Clinton, I think those were the two people I was really impressed with my freshman year. And I felt like they had had such straight paths that were clear that they were always going to be who they were. And I think I would just tell myself that it's okay. Like, do what you want and just go with whatever you're trying to figure out at that moment. And at the end it all looked like it was a straight little line and and you know I feel like everyone could craft a story to make it like they, they knew the whole time.
2: Hi <laughs> <That's ill. time. laughs>
0: Um, That's what and, applications are.
1: <laughs> exactly and I think uh, I was just so worried I was gonna lose out on the opportunity and screw something up and screw up this amazing experience and, and you don't need to worry <laughs> like if you are intentional about making the most of it and really getting to know the people around you and and doing what interests you while you're there there's no way to go wrong and yeah so I think that would be freshman me See <laughs> me I mean, I guess I'm more lighthearted know that I was just so scared to leave Stanford I loved it so much and I feel like it had taken me a full year to really love it and so I felt like I only had three years there I, I was just so sad to leave and I thought I would be so crushed but I figured it out and by the time it was over I was I was ready and I think it was, like I said earlier, the transition was out of Stanford was a bit easier than I anticipated, at least in my experience. And so I would just tell my senior self to, to not worry. It's going to be okay.
0: Well, any last um, comments or thoughts that we didn't get to?
1: I think just take advantage of the Center for Human Rights. They are amazing. I feel like... <laughs> I didn't really get to integrate the Center for Human Rights into my answers as much as I I thought I would be able to, but in the background, they were literally always there. It was me and Penelope sitting for hours at a table talking about life and what I was going to do and how it was all going to be okay. So I think that just enjoy this community and really just, Hang out with Penelope and Jesse (laughs) because
2: I miss that so much. Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like an old geezer now saying this, but college is such a special time and it just, looking back, it seems like it flew by and I also was so sad to leave. I thought like, wow, I had really made a home here. Um, So really just cherish those friendships that you make and of course cherish those connections through the Honda Center or whatever um, other institutions that you float through um
1: and uh yeah it's also funny thinking about all this because you so the center for human rights stays with you and i feel like it's so nice the three of us have not spoken in two years i haven't spoken to either of you in years and, and we just pick right up and then you end up colliding with people again so it it really stays with you it's awesome
0: thank you so much again to alexis and julian for this wonderful conversation and a big good luck from all of us on starting law school soon If you want to hear past episodes of the Notes from Alumni series, be sure to check out The Rights Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future conversations with our human rights alumni. As usual, the resources that Alexis and Julian mentioned will be available in our show's show notes. You're listening to The Rights Pod. The views reflected in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Stanford Center for Human Rights.